0: At the end of the day, Tarabitar's investigation died when Mufi'at Safa threatened his job. Should he go any further in his investigations in a way that was meaningful, a year and almost a year and a half ago in late 2021, the threat was clear and we saw what happened. October 2021 in clashes among many, but not a degeneration into civil war. In May 2008, the same circumstance, not a degeneration, rather, a a very dangerous and long term status quo defined by paralysis. And here you have a group that can dictate the terms of everything, but in particular justice, tackling impunity and investigation. And I think going to the justice palace and focusing all rage against that institution and demanding that demanding the, demanding a justice authority to emerge that can challenge that situation. I think is unrealistic and the emphasis cannot be from within. All these protesters could take over the ministry of justice. They could actually take over many institutions, but the larger problem will remain unscathed, and that's paralysis. Judge Pitzold can stay in his job forever. And actually it's been 15 months that he hasn't touched the investigation he's still technically the judge in charge of that very huge portfolio but he can't do his job that's also paralysis and should he be fired or replaced that just means that he was trying too hard he kept trying and trying and trying until the point that he's forced out that may happen but the opposite end which is keeping him there and expecting him to be able to do his job, I think is, uh, I think it's beyond the point. So the expectations, I think, should be reassessed. And the reasons Tari Bitar cannot do his job are clear. Now, that's on one side. And I sympathize with that voice because they are doing everything they can despite not being able to tackle the problem. So expression, persuasion, escalation, the way I think people like Paul and Tracy Najar or William Noon or everyone that's been showing up to these protests, that includes the 13 MPs, the change MPs, that includes, I think, anyone, the Lukman Slim's family, everyone that is trying by being present and being together and united, they're courageous, but they're also shackled. So, that's one end. On the other end, you have, I think, a, I'm going to say, I'm going to try to be uh, sort of sympathetic, if that's possible here. Uh, There is a voice that is, it's always there, but it has sort of found its way into, uh, maybe, uh, there's like a discourse taking place. It's, It's been growing over time among observers and analysts that emphasize a point which is ignore Hezbollah or put the whole issue on the shelf. Since you can't tackle it at home, or if you're unable to tackle it at home, ignore it and try to manage the free fall better. And that's been emphasized in reports, social media, on TV, among academic circles and, and think, think tank pundits, that crowd. There are many voices like this I think some of it is is sincere. Actually, it extends to even diplomats, writing opinion pieces in local papers, emphasizing that you should hold whoever you can to account. And this maybe maybe even extends to someone like Macron, who even calls on Lebanese to change their leaders and find ways forward. There may be sincere... uh, That might... I don't think it's ill-intentioned always. I think some of it is actually trying to mitigate a disaster better. And it goes back to crisis management. Um, it's sort of navigating when you can't tackle the fundamental problem. I'm going to point at two sort of sides here. The, the sincere side, which I, th- I think is sincere, um, I think wants a better Lebanon. And maybe doesn't want Hezbollah to remain as it is at the moment. Maybe wants to see a Hezbollah that is reformable, one that becomes a political party over time. Maybe that's how they want this situation to end. Yet they're unable or unwilling to articulate or tackle that problem even when they have space to do so. That could be in literature, that could be among diplomats expressing their concerns to their capitals uh that could be among observers and all the above that when they can focus in on it they choose not to and maybe they choose not to and here's where i sort of i speculate here they choose not to in order to keep maybe a channel maybe communication open to that group in in different ways trying to maybe shape things quietly on the sides i don't know if that's always true there may be ideological perspectives here and there may be also constraints and and maybe there are some honest people trying in the background but i I sense the majority is one of ideology and the ideological voices are that predominantly lebanese are the problem they voted the wrong crowd. They chose the wrong leaders. Regional problems are not that important when it comes to the collapse of the country. That's a perspective, I think, that is easy to debunk, but they they hone in on that. And, you know, you stretch over time, and you look at how paralysis has shaped politics, economics, uh institutional failure collapse of a society and if you're unable to look at paralysis and see how paralysis impacts all of that and if you're unwilling to go down to what really keeps the state paralyzed over time and if you're unable to articulate or tackle maybe that's becomes it becomes a job becomes that it's almost like a career of how to navigate and how to maybe communicate with parties that don't want a reformed country or to disarm, in case in point, Hezbollah at the moment at least. And then it becomes a question of what can you do with Iran? If it can be finally acknowledged that Hezbollah is not a local issue, and maybe Hezbollah is the local flavor of Hezbollah is one thing, and that has been expressed even among certain of the change MPs that they're able to talk about Hezbollah's corruption or Hezbollah's relationship with other corrupt individuals. I think they're masterful in, in doing that. It's like you put Hezbollah and Hadidi in the same sentence always. You include Hassan Nasrullah and Riyadh Salemi and Sam, uh, Samir Jaja in the same sentence and the same analysis. And you almost become like... Um, I can talk about Hezbollah as long as I talk about everything as well. It's almost like I can talk about the core as long as I address the collateral. Majority of those voices do not touch on the violent aspect of Hezbollah. The majority. Again, not all. But the majority wish to see Hezbollah as a corrupt party rather than a paramilitary proxy. So again, going back, how do you address Iran? Clearly, protesters in Lebanon breaking into a justice palace or trying to push local actors to do better or to be more competent. That has nothing to do with Iran's interests in Lebanon. And when it does, in the rare occasion that it actually touches on their security, they react. They react in different ways. They assassinate and occasionally when they see a situation that maybe, maybe did not exactly turn out the way they wanted, or when they're sending a message that maybe they want a new status quo and it perhaps went in a slightly different direction, case in point, UNIFIL and the attack on the UNIFIL, uh, the UNIFIL convoy and the death of an Irish soldier, they do accommodate to a point, they adjust, they surrender one of seven accused. Again, it's on their terms. It's not the Lebanese state telling them what they need. It's Hezbollah telling the Lebanese state what they can offer. It's, it's, it's flipped in reverse. That, I think, is the rare occasion where Iran's security is sort of on the radar. And Hezbollah does, in a way, adjust accordingly. Uh, They target whenever something tackles their security. And on occasion, they show what appears to be flexibility, although it's not really flexibility. It's more that they don't want responsibility always by not endorsing Gibran Bessil, by trying to hint at that they could work with Joseph Hohen if Joseph Hohen accommodates them in every way possible. Or the rare occasion where They speak the language of reform, but it's almost, it's hollow rhetoric. Or if you want to go back to 2012, a decade ago, under Michelle Slimane's presidency, they even signed on to something like the Babda Declaration, disassociation from Syria altogether, while they're sending soldiers to Syria. Again, this is cosmetic. It's not that important when it comes to their position. So the crowd that can talk to Iran about Lebanon or try to find a peaceful end to Iran's military interests in Lebanon, they seem unwilling, fairly disinterested or perhaps more comfortable with this kind of arrangement where Iran manages security in a way that does not always tackle West, Western interests in the region. Maybe that's how they're arrang- that's how they're rearranging uh the post-syria disorder that despite what's happening internally in iran they're able to talk to iran about management not about resolution and i think the challenge is to always proactively make that case heard when lebanese cannot talk to iran directly and when they're denied to when they're denied violently by diplomatically communicating with the iranian regime about lebanon other actors have to at least send the right message and that's the rule i think for diplomats the role for diplomats should not be that they biked to work or that they sort of saw a brewery or that they are concerned about gender quotas more than anything or that they're Love for nature and their sort of uh, romanticizing of Lebanon. I mean, that's fine if that's one of many things happening at once. And the biggest concern for diplomacy should be restoring Lebanon's sovereignty. I don't think anyone. This includes perhaps this includes the Americans. Not that. I mean, it's every actor that can wield some sway over how Iran behaves in Lebanon. They're disinterested. That adds to the long-term paralysis, and the, the fate of this country, I think, is tied up into that. In that orbit, you also have many within Lebanon, some abroad, but there are plenty in this country that are trying to find access to power through the problem. Perhaps they want jobs, Maybe they're stuck in their career and they're unsatisfied with how far they've gone. Maybe they want to be ministers in the next cabinet. Maybe they want to be advisors to otherwise problematic figures. Maybe they're looking for an inroad into power. Power that panders, power that sort of sidelines Hezbollah and a power that accepts them. And not just accepts them, tolerates them, uh, accommodates them. You have many in Lebanon that are trying to wiggle their way forward in that climate. I mean, the obvious names are the political problematic figures that have emerged and have defended Hezbollah or nominally opposed them but have done nothing to tackle that, that security issue. Some want to be president. Some really want to be president, at least recently. And uh, many in academic circles or this sort of punditry uh, climate, I think they always make the case that it's voices like my own. I'm not trying to be sort of, I'm not trying to claim any authority here, but it's this kind of voice that challenges Hezbollah this way is more problematic than Hezbollah's footing in the country, the way they see it. Again, not making it about me, or necessarily really about them. It's more what they represent, which is the status quo is not the issue. It's how to live with Hezbollah better. And the range of intelligence officials that once sort of befriended the Syrian regime, or those that are looking to reclaim authority by being revolutionary today, uh, but they weren't revolutionary before, and they're fairly dishonest in how they talk about justice in this country and legal issues. I mean, all of these sort of former intelligence creatures that want want a stake. Maybe they're betting on Syria returning. Maybe they're betting on Hezbollah uh, sort of winning this round, at least in terms of being able to paralyze, but also that the state kind of comes back together that they want to be there and they want to be friendly to hezbollah and i think my own estimate i think hezbollah doesn't want things to be this bad they want a paralyzed state that serves its interests but then manages everything else accordingly they don't want a sovereign or independent country. They clearly don't want a neutral country. They want a subverted state. And actually they want to go back to what October 16, 2010 was like. Community leaders that may oppose them one day but may say things against them sometimes. At the end though are doing their dirty work and leaving them alone and contributing to a very fragile turned i mean on a good day it's inefficient and and sluggish and very difficult to govern but on a bad day on a bad stretch bad bad years now it's extremely corrupt it's sectarian in every way that's negative meaning it's communal anxiety all over the place and individuals are not really respected in that story, but communities are not respected either. It's just sort of anarchy. And uh, the death of what was once a vibrant enough, cosmopolitan to a point, post-Civil War somewhat uh, restored, at least attempted restored uh, country, and post 2005, all effort was made to make that a reality and all that effort was, was subverted and, and destroyed by Hezbollah. I think Hezbollah wants to go back to that. A semi-functional state that serves their interests. And that's it. That may not happen. May not happen. But I think things will remain paralyzed until the regional temperature changes on this country, Unfortunately. But uh, ignore the voices that try to reach accommodation with Hezbollah and discredit the, the, the fairly uh, mediocre uh, analysis and, and punditry that tries to blame everything else at the same level as the most sophisticated proxy army in the region and its role in keeping Lebanon as a battlefield for the region. I think it's probably, uh, if it's anyone's responsibility in keeping this type of narrative going, um, it's the ones that I think don't want to live in a Lebanon that's paralyzed perpetually or put back together in a way that's good for Hezbollah. I think we need to keep those voices loud and clear, stubborn and combative, at least in terms of intellect, while staying decent and eloquent and not resorting to social media, bickering, or for that matter, uh, uh, shouting matches, which the more insecure voices in this country that are really sad and and pathetic, uh, they resort to that, at least in private. Um, So they should be ignored, sidelined, they don't matter. What matters is finding a way for another country's security interests to no longer exist in this country. That's the battle. It's over 50 years now where other parties that have nothing to do with Lebanon's geography are playing a detrimental role to our country's history and keeping us generations stuck and paralyzed. So... All courage and sympathy to protesters, and I hope their dreams, which I share, are realized when the regional temperature, in any way, shape, or form, cools down in this country, and there is a concerted effort to make sure Iran, or any other country in the future, cannot play this kind of role in Lebanon, once and for all. Thank you.